Welcome to Inaudible. My name is Jeremy Wyland, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ryan Masterson. On this podcast, we discuss the weird, beautiful channeled messages found in the archives of organizations like LL Research, Circle R, and others. The archives contain transcripts of messages from allegedly discarnate sources who articulate a philosophy of spiritual evolution. If you would like an audio version of the transcripts, please subscribe to Ryan's other podcast, Living Love and Light, available on all platforms. Ryan and I will try to provide analysis and commentary on the philosophy described in these messages, identifying the common themes, and grappling with the application of this information to our human lives. Thanks for joining us on this journey. And Ryan, good morning. How's you doing? Good morning. Doing well? Up bright and early? Got coffee in my hand? Talking with my buddy? So things are good. Yeah, yeah. If you're going to get up at this ungodly hour, <laughs> you yeah. might as well uh, spend it with somebody uh, who's a friend. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's right. That's, that's how right. I feel too. And I think I'm still convinced that it's better to go to bed early and get up early, that somehow your days are just more filled with meaningful activity when you shift that activity into the morning rather than stay up late at night, rather than that, go to bed early, but then get up early. You know, I don't know. I've, I've never, uh, never been super productive at night. I've always find a reason to uh, party or hang out or, you know, chill. But when I get up in the morning, it's like, okay, I'm up, better get after it. Yeah, I, I'm more of a morning person too, but the the other side of that is that I have to set myself up for success, right? Like I can't mm-hmm. go to bed at 2 a.m. <laughs> like I used to. Yes. So, But I find that when I get to bed at a normal hour, that getting up early really suits me, especially over the last, you know, five, six years that I've been doing meditation in the morning and trying to set up a regimen for that. It just seems like, that gets me started, you know, it, 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 sometimes it feels like I'm getting the boring part out of the way. Yes. <laughs> but what I, what I maybe don't appreciate as much as I should is how much that sets me up for encountering the catal- the catalyst of the day, you know, and, and yeah. being ready to meet everything with an open heart a little more than I might otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. I know that lately it's been a little bit of a, I've, I've, I feel like I've had like a tough week or two. It's just been, um, a little bit more of a slog to get through the day lately. Um, I just feel like, uh, it's been very catalytic lately. Mm. And so a lot of times my impulse is to meditate less and to contemplate less during those times as, as counterintuitive as that seems. Um, it's almost like I'm manifesting a I'm manifesting these problems that are really lessons. They're really learning opportunities. But the sheer spiritual force of them, the the way that they wear you down, wear down those rough edges of your personality and your your mind body spirit complex. Um it does seem like sometimes uh you want to look within less <laughs> at precisely the time when it would benefit you the most. Yes. But sometimes you're not ready for that. That's true. You're right. There's a, there's a sense of absorbing the catalyst, dealing with the catalyst and then reflecting upon the catalyst 
for that inevitable, hopefully inevitable lesson that you'll learn. But um, yeah, maybe you're still in the <laughs> catalyst gathering mode and uh, reflections will come. Maybe. Yeah, this is it's such a weird philosophy that we uh, try to study on this podcast where you're both the instrument and the scientist observing through the instrument like mm. you're you're both at the same time. And we're actually going to get into that kind of um, dual role of observer, observed master and servant uh, in this uh, session that we're going to be discussing today. Yeah. So let's just go ahead and jump right in. Um what we're going to be discussing is uh, the Kuo session from January 6th, 1991. And this is a very interesting session that I've wanted to do for a while um, because I've wanted to discuss the specific nature of the spirit complex in the mind-body-spirit complex configuration. Uh, this, this weird way that those of Ra and other uh, confederation entities talk about what we are that we are these three parts, these three different capacities, um, and that it's a complex, that it is a interrelationship of all of these things working together in not, in other words, mind is not simply this one thing. It's a complex. That's something that uh, those of Ra make very clear uh, in their contact with uh, LL Research, that they're... Um, there was a point uh, in a previous creation. Remember, we uh, there. There's this concept in the law of one they talk about, where creation goes through these densities of evolution. They create these experiences of of, of catalyst and reaching towards spirit uh, that culminates in the eighth density, which is also the first first density of the next octave. Right. So you have. You go from first density, second density, you go all the way through the densities till you get to seventh, where once you get to seventh density, um, you are at a level of evolution where uh, at a certain point, the looking back on your past evolution, your past lessons, the coalescing of all of this knowledge that the creator has of itself through your experience is complete. And there's now the uh, turning towards the uh, infinity of the creator and the loss of that um, individual, the, the loss of the need to articulate that individual identity um, because you are merging back into the creator. You're merging mm -hmm. back into the allness of everything and becoming one with the creator in the true sense that we all aspire to. And that true sense that is uh, sort of driving us, uh, pulling us through our evolutionary path. I mean, to me, that is it the exact same thing as the upward spiraling light concept. Mm -hmm. This idea that we are being, that, that there is momentum to our evolution. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but you were talking about the mind complex and well, we were on the topic of, of uh, the mind complex and how, and then you, you know, quickly start talking about, past experiences, you know, that guiding or that, uh, striving for the light. Um, how does that relate to the mind? <laughs> to the mind complex? You know, that's funny. Cause I was just wondering that myself, like, <laughs> where am I going here? Um, 
can maybe I, maybe I needed another cup of coffee. <laughs> so when you talk, so maybe, um, when I think about the mind complex, the body complex, the spirit complex, well, if I take it in my, you know, meathead translation of like the body complex, it's like, I've got two arms, two legs, I've got a torso, a head, and then inside I've got my organs and they're all pieces of the puzzle that all work together in what you could call the body complex. Mm-hmm. Is that, there's there a corollary to the mind complex and say even the spirit complex that there are pieces to this whole that all whether perceivable or not that you know are all working together well thank you because now i understand i I remember where i was going perfect so there's been creations of octaves before us and there will be creations after this octave that we're in and apparently in past octaves um mind body and spirit weren't necessarily understood as a complex they were understood as a much more unified Mm. concepts and that the the creator in past creation saw utility in understanding these things as much more of a uh, constellation of different concerns in this mind or body or spirit idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I think you're right. I think that that's a good analogy. The body understood as a um, collection of different systems all working together that can be understood individually and yet also understood as a totality. Right. Mm, mm-hmm. um, and that's important because it creates, well, you know, one, one, one thing right off the bat that you would notice from, from that perspective is that it creates um, more opportunities for focus, more opportunities for zeroing in on specific subsets of a system rather than mm-hmm. always t- dealing with the system as a totality. This ability to zero in on things, I think, allows for confusion. It allows for um, overemphasizing one thing and underemphasizing another thing. And this is what, it may seem that this is what our stumbling blocks consist of, maybe. And that may be true. Sure. But these stumbling blocks also allow for the creator to know itself in these unbalanced and therefore novel and new ways that when it is completely unified it doesn't have available to itself the benefit of ignorance let's say the benefit of being able to see these things as piecemeal Mm -hmm. as separate and therefore the nuances that obtain from that tight focus on one little portion of itself Mm -hmm. does that make any sense at all yeah you let it simmer it's uh (laughs) (laughs) You're you're being very generous. (laughs) Anyway, the the, the point is, is that uh, it is this complex nature of mind, body and spirit um, that allows for us to delve into these concepts piecemeal and to understand in in a little in a little instance what the overall nature of things are in some new way. And Mm -hmm. so. When we're talking about mind, body, spirit complex, I just want to start off by saying, you know, these we're not going to be able to nail everything down completely. Uh, We have to kind of like use our intuition and not insist upon a logical understanding of each and everything Mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think this especially applies to spirit because spirit is a very nebulous idea 
even in the uh, the pretty technically precise uh, uh, vocabulary of the Confederation. Um, spirit seems to, I mean, we know what, we, we kind of have an idea of what mind is, even when, um, even when Ra talks about the archetypal mind and the roots of mind and these deep aspects of, of, of the mind that we don't completely have access to, they are conceivable in some way. I feel like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we can sort of understand that there are layers of mind underneath the more we've meditated, the more we've had a direct experience yeah. of that. Uh, with body, I think that's a very easy to understand concept. Even if we're talking about energy bodies, yeah, we're talking about something that has a nature that we can conceive of, right? The mm-hmm. body is kind of the thing that gives you a location in space and time, mm-hmm. right? It's a it's 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 a vehicle, and it allows you to interact with reality in a in a in a in a limited way. Whereas I think you know, mind allows you to conceive of reality in this kind of unlimited way, but it's still limited in the sense that you have to have discrete thoughts. Mm -hmm. Well, there are, there are tangible experiences with the body complex, if we want to call it that and semi-tangible, at least understandable experiences with the mind complex, the spirit complex experiences are much more amorphous and cloudy. And you're unsure if what you're experiencing is a is the spirit complex or is it just your mind or is it your body that's, is it a chemical thing in your body that gets you excited about this, makes you feel a certain emotion? It's, it's hard to pin down what may be a spirit complex experience versus what a mind complex or a body complex experience may be. Thank you. That puts a very uh, good frame on what I've been uh, blundering about trying to talk about. (laughs) It might be time to uh, maybe dip into some raw contact questions and answers just just to set the stage here. Hmm. Um, so I'm starting with um, session 30, question two. Uh, and Don asks those of raw to define mind, body and spirit. And uh, he's, he asked uh, for separate definitions. Okay. Uh, those of Ra say, uh, these terms are all simplistic descriptive terms, which equal a complex of energy focuses, the body, as you call it, being the material of the density, which you experience at a given space time or time space, this complex of materials being available for distortions of what you would call physical manifestation. The mind is a complex, which reflects the inpourings of the spirit and the uppourings of the body complex. It contains what you know as feelings, emotions, and intellectual thoughts in its more conscious complexities. Moving further down the tree of mind, we see the intuition, which is of the nature of the mind, more in contact or in tune with the total beingness complex. Moving down to the roots of mind, we find the progression of consciousness, which gradually turns from the personal to the racial memory to the cosmic influxes and thus becomes a direct contactor of that shuttle, which we call the spirit complex. The spirit complex is the channel whereby the inpourings from all of the various universal planetary and personal inpourings may be funneled into the roots of consciousness and whereby consciousness may be funneled to the gateway of intelligent infinity through the balanced intelligent energy of body and mind. You will see 
by this series of definitive statements that mind, body, and spirit are inextricably intertwined and cannot continue one without the other. Thus, we refer to the mind-body-spirit complex, rather than attempting to deal with them separately, for the work, shall we say, that you do during your experiences is done through the interaction of these three components, not through any one. And that's a good point that I failed to uh, articulate, is that it's not just that they're complex in each of their components, but the way that they interact with each other creates the specific kind of evolutionary experience that we have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I like the visualization or the description of the spirit, not as an entity per se, but as a funnel or a channel that moves basically the universe. And it, as I, as I imagine this, it just funnels or condenses it down into a single sleeve that connects to the mind and the body. But there's this, well, unity and oneness you know, and I imagine a whole bunch of people walking around with a whole bunch of those little funnels coming out of their heads that's con- <laughs> that's connecting them, you know, with uh, with the universe. Um, but it's an interesting it's an interesting explanation. Absolutely, um, and I think it's also interesting. Uh, th- another way that they talk about the spirit complex is as a shuttle. Mm-hmm. That always confused me until I co- sort of realized that you know. This ability to shuttle back and forth between the undifferentiated plenum of potential that is the intelligent infinity of the creator and this like discrete manifested experience that we have right now explains kind of how we can have these series of uh, different aspects of our experience. Uh and, and they say it right in, in, in that, that quote I just read, that the, the mind, is, mind reflects the inpourings of spirit. So the mind mediates between spirit and body. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why, uh, that's where we start a lot of times in our, on our path is, you know, it, it's not body, mind, spirit. <laughs> it's a mind, body, spirit. And uh, even in the archetypal mind, in the tarot, uh, major arcana, uh, it's, it starts with mind, then body and spirit. And I think I even asked Kuo about this once. Um, but it does seem like mind is sort of like where you start because it kind of mediates between mm. the, uh, ineffability of the spirit and mm-hmm. the concreteness of the bodily experience. Mm-hmm. And, um, a lot of what, uh, the spiritual path is, is learning how to, in my opinion, learning how to open more and more to this influx of spirit. So that it colors your mind and then allows you to bring into your bodily actions and your bodily experience more and more of the spontaneity of, of, of the unified view of everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it makes sense that the mind would be kind of the focal point, at least from our perspective, because we feel like that our existence is in our minds that even though we might feel things in our fingers, it is still translated and experienced in the, in the brain or, you know, in the mind. Um, so I guess it makes sense that we'd be a mind centric, you know, in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, it's also the way that it's also important to just like that mind sort of filters and conditions how we have a bodily experience 
we can we can apply that um, same sort of analogy to how mind and spirit interact. Right. Mm-hmm. The mind kind of conditions and uh, brings further articulation to what otherwise would be. You know, I keep using the word undifferentiated because I want to express how my concept of spirit is that it is just everything all at once all the time. Right. Mm hmm. And in fact, uh, in the in the uh, session, they they talk about uh, the present moment being an access point for spirit as well, where, um, you know, even Ross says uh, there's a there's a quote where they say that who can know when an entity will open the gateway to the present. And they're talking about it in the context of spirit. Mm -hmm. And it does seem like what mind and body do is they allow us to have these interim experiences between this recognition of the primacy of the present moment Hmm. where it's just this eternal now, but if it's an eternal now and if, and if, and if if it partakes of this connection to everything, then we don't have the ability to have those little focuses that allow us to have like separate experiences, right? Those experiences of separation from the creator that teach the creator what it is by in, in the, the analogy that I use is that it's as if the creator, it sees all of itself, but then it takes its hands and it creates a little frame and it blocks everything else out. But mm-hmm. the, what's in that little frame between the hands mm-hmm. and it's focusing just on that. Mm-hmm. And that is not its full self, but it is in blocking everything else out and focusing solely on that little point that it can see the uniqueness of itself in that little aspect mm-hmm. that that brings out something that otherwise it wouldn't understand about itself. Mm. That, I mean, if, 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 if separation weren't possible, understanding itself wouldn't be possible, right? Yeah. There'd be no object to, to, to understand and no subject to do the understanding. Yeah. So this all partakes of a little bit of mystery and it's uh, it's tough to reason about sometimes without doing complex uh, maneuvers like I just did of coming up with these analogies, right? Sure. Like it very incomplete, but, just thought experiments to help get us our juices flowing. But even that's not an uncommon analogy. There's a, there's a common saying that goes, there's freedom in limitations. Yes. And I had a real problem with that one for a while. Like, what do you mean? That's complete (laughs) BS. But, (laughs) but yeah, if you can literally do anything you want, it's like, how much freedom do you have? Or freedom is kind of a relative term. It's like, I have freedom to move within this rule set, you know, or within this, whatever it is. Um, It's like, you have to have borders around, you have to have a game board and rules to the game in order to have a freedom to choose which move you're going to make on the game board, you know? So, so I get yeah, there's it. There's a, th- I get it. Life is, life is too big. The universe is too big. Unity is too big. You have to focus it down into just a little tiny view to really yeah. focus in. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the phrase I always heard was creativity loves constraints. It does. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, that's, and it really that's a does. Really it's, a, it's a difficult thing to get clear on because you just want to be untethered mm-hmm. when you want to be creative. Mm-hmm. But it turns out that that's a lot to that's a big bite to take. It is. Isn't it funny how creative people and this happens in business all the time when regulations are written. It's like, hmm, 
businessmen are so creative about how to do the next thing to avoid the regulation and therefore new regulations need to be written, you know, so it's constant game of catch up, but yeah, people are always creative. Um, it's amazing what just a little bit of challenge and restrictions will do to someone's creativity to think about, okay, well, I can't do this anymore. How about we try something else, you know? Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I think that's a little bit of um, a primer on Ra's approach to spirit. Um, I think it's, I think maybe the only other thing that I would mention is uh, the function of spirit in from the point of view of the second density, the third density transition. Hmm. Um, if you Google or search on law of one info for the concept of investiture, um, I think it's important to recognize that um, in second density, a lot of what makes our second density non self-conscious experience what it is is precisely that we don't have conscious access to the spirit complex, that what creates our third density experience, what brings us over the threshold from second density to third density is the growing awareness that we have the spirit complex available and that it's no longer in potentiation, but it's also, but it's actually an activation. And that's a lot of what self-awareness, self-consciousness is about. And it's what, keeps us it's what separates us from from animals who aren't self-conscious i think i think that's an important point because it kind of contextualizes why what what role the spirit is playing in what otherwise seems like animal behavior in our life right like we're going about eating working engaging with other beings uh, other humans just like animals have this kind of congress yeah. and 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 you know get together and and they have their own kind of community, but it's this awareness of spirit. It seems like that gives us this reflective ability to start to think abstractly, Mm -hmm. to start to think in terms of like, well, what would it mean to make a choice? Not simply to react to something as an animal does out of fear or whatever, or, or desire to eat, but to start thinking in more uh, imperishable terms about what life is about uh, what what our existence is about and what we want to bring what we choose to bring into experience yeah and the the point of third density and this choice of polarity I think is largely about mobilizing spirit into the process of evolution consciously rather than it ha- happening to us unconsciously we are coming into a greater and greater relationship with it and that relationship is not one in which we're necessarily in charge. Mm-hmm. But it is one in which we uh, are getting more and more comfortable with uh, with accessing mystery and bringing mystery into our lives and 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 working with it. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I don't have much to add. <laughs> Not to that. Awesome. That's a great idea. Yeah, I, I, to me, this is a big uh, mystery is how investiture occurs, how the spirit, how third density entities can invest second density spirit, uh, entities with an awareness of the spirit complex. And that apparently this is largely what the function of pets are. 
right? Is yeah. that we give pets personality. We lit like that anthropomorphization we do where we give them names and we act like they have personalities actually invest them with personalities and get starts to give them the ability to recognize their individuality mm. and open up to the concept of a spirit complex. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that's a, that, that is one of my favorite concepts in the law of one. So I couldn't help but uh, put a finger on it. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and jump into the uh, session with that, with those um, introductions. Um, and, and I'll just read the question here so that we have the context of where they're coming from. Cause they not only talk about spirit, but they talk about soul and soul is a very indeterminate, not really often used word in the confederation work. So I'm hoping that we can like nail it down with, uh, something that at least gives us a reference so that we can work with it in, in, in the future, mm-hmm. or at least in the context of this session. So let's see the question this evening concerns the nature of the mind body spirit complex in particular, what is the specific nature of the spirit complex? How does that relate to what we know of as the soul? How can that knowledge help us in our learning about ourselves and in being able to be more of service? And, uh, this is, uh, where we start. And uh, they kind of jump in um, after they uh, start their, uh, you know, they do the caveat and all that. And then let's see. Each of you is an entity, Quo says. Let this be basic and imprinted. Each of you is an unique consciousness. You are unique because of the choices that you have made. It is your choices which define you, your biases which express your nature. It is not in the clarity of your creator self that you exist in terms of the solution, but as an unique portion of the infinite consciousness, which has been mated with free will in order that you may go through the choosing process again and again, creating, enhancing, and altering your biases and distortions. What could we offer to any clear and lucid enough to be a perfect and empty instrument that could be, that could all be filled with the treasure of the infinite creator? Nothing. We offer words to you because both we and you are learning and yet do not know, but we are persistent as you are, as are you. This free will moves firstly by chance. And in terms of your time space continuum, this occurs for a long period in the density, which you now enjoy comes a very critical period in which the unique and distorted entity that you are must choose blindly in the deep of midnight, how to follow the light. What I think is interesting about this passage um, is the emphasis that they place on choice. Um, that you are unique because of the choices you have made. And these choices define you and kind of make you a unique um, uh, novel portion of the creator, having unique novel experiences that teach the creator unique novel lessons about what it is. And, um, yeah, the, the, the interesting thing is that we were just talking about the transition from second density to third density and what distinguishes those two densities. It seems like this free will being able to recognize itself and start to, uh, uh, start to act 
from an accord that it owns Mm -hmm. rather than just reacting to things and then chance moving this will along. That's a big point in our density and a big reason why the choice of polarity is such an important element of our evolution. Yes. I love the last line, the last line that uh, you now enjoy. Well, comes a very critical period in which the unique, unique and distorted entity that you are must choose blindly in the deep of midnight, how to follow the light. So in other words, there's, there's no, blindly in the deep of midnight. It shouldn't matter at the deep of midnight if you're blind, but I think they're just reiterating you are in the dark and you are, you have to choose how are you going to, how are you going to come out of that? You know? Yeah. The choice of polarity is one. It appears that is made in a way that puts you and your desire at the forefront. And everything else is obscured. I mean, I think that's one of the points of making the choice in the dark and working on the self in this very, in a lot of ways, ignorant mode uh, is, is that everything else about how we might live our lives is kind of shuttled to the, to the side. And we are making a choice out of pure spiritual expression. Um, yeah. And, and so this is, this is, this is the state of, this is the state of play. Mm-hmm. This is what we're working with. Um, things are not determinate. Things are, uh, very mysterious. And in that light, Kuo continues, thusly all discussion of the entity, which is you as a purely metaphysical entity must in some way be wrapped in mystery. For it is not important to know the nature of the soul or the true entity during an incarnation. It is, in fact, baggage. For you are not here to practice discarnate skills. Hmm. Each of you is here to be affected by an environment you know to be an illusion. Yet why would you choose to be an illusion, which is so often challenging, unless that which is truly yourself is aware of the great value of not knowing? And having to choose in faith blindly. And there it is. Said much more clearly than uh, I did uh, in the last few minutes. I, uh, I laughed when I read the paragraph you just read. Uh, the line in particular. Um, you are not here to practice discarnate skills. I laughed at that because last night I had my first lucid dream in 20 years. And oh, the wow. first thing I did as I climbed to the top of whatever building I was in and I jumped off of it because I remember reading, I can, I consistently hear this, that one Avenue to astral projecting is in a lucid dream, trying to get that sense that you're falling. And I'm like, I want to, I want to, I want to, if that's, if it's possible to astral project, if that is real, I want to experience that. So that's the first thing I did. I ran to, went to the top of the building. I jumped off. And then I woke up, <laughs> unfortunately, but, uh, but I hope I have that experience again, because, uh, I'm sorry, Quo, but I, you know, that discarnate skill of, uh, being out of body, I kind of want to experience that, but I laughed when I read that today. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, they go a lot further though. Um, I mean, they're, they're talking about 
it's not really necessary for us to know any of the <laughs> yeah. any of the stuff that we're talking about right now. <laughs> yes. In order for evolution to work on us. No, totally. Well, just like we've talked about before with people, uh, some who might be trying to learn lessons of wisdom and uh, and we're here to learn the lessons of love. And there's yes. a reason that veil is so thick between where we're at and everything else. It's because of the catalyst we get, the lessons we learn and how that contributes to our and everyone else's spiritual development. So yeah, all of this is like, as you put it, we're trying to get the answer. We're trying to see the answer sheet, you know? Yeah. But again, I maintain having templates like these are just helpful to get you through some challenging times or to help you process challenges that you're going through. So eh, I'm, I'll, yeah, I'm going to stick with it. <laughs> yeah, that that to to practice discarnate skills would be to uh want to work in more of a time space metaphysical hmm. uh aspect rather than space time manifest aspect. And there's a there's a raw quote that sort of uh articulates that session 71 question 7. The advantage of time space is that of the fluidity of the grand overview. The advantage of space-time is that, working in darkness with a tiny candle, one may correct imbalances. Mm-hmm. And I think that's uh, that's a lot of what uh, the utility of our ignorance in this incarnation is about. It's like uh, we we can make that choice uh, without any knowledge of the consequences or conditions other than what it is that we truly deeply in our souls desire. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that, and that the, the contradictions of incarnation and incarnate life bring out this desire. Like we, it, it, it sort of gives us no stable ground to stand on. We have to choose based on what we believe deeply in our souls, not what the world tells us we should. The world can test us. But at the end of the day, the choice is ours, and that choice has to be made in the dark for it to have the power and for us to have the confidence that it's coming from us and not just a reaction to the to to some stimulus. Right. That's how second density animals work is that they they react to stimuli. But we are trying to articulate principle. Yes. Something that overarches our experience overarches even ourselves. It's something coming from above. Right. And in that you can see uh, the way that spirit creates the ability to, to have abstract thought, to have principles that transcend experience and transcend our interests at any given moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a quick story time. It reminds me of, uh, again, one of the guys that I, one of the guys that I follow a leadership, former Navy SEAL Jocko Willink. I think I think it's he that, he that tells a story that every now and then because uh, he used to train um, used to train seals once he uh, stopped serving in Iraq he used to run the training programs but he would say I think I'm going to get this right um, sometimes in training especially during Hell Week you've got some seals are or some you know uh, some sailors are helping others a lot to get through the tough times of hell week to the point where sometimes 
a person or two makes it through Hell Week who did not do it on their own. They had a couple of guys really helping them through. And then that extends to the rest of training, which is incredibly challenging. And at the end of the training, there's this slight unease about that guy that got through needing all of that help. And the guys who get through on their own, from their own effort, their own will, their own choices, that guy, those guys are solid. You know, you can rely on them, but there's always the seed of doubt for the, uh, for the seals that needed that help because it didn't feel like they could really make it on their own, you know, tying it to our, to what you just said, it's that choice has to be legit for it to be real. And if there's, if there's any, um, cloudiness or any contamination of the choice, it, it, is it real? You know, it's gotta be, it's like, it's gotta be repeated. That, that experience has to be repeated or the lesson has to be repeated until you can truly and honestly come into that, you know, come into the choice yourself. Yeah. Because I think there's something about the choice that, that, um, allows us access to our full metaphysical power Hmm. as we are going into the more energetically dense realms Mm -hmm. after third density. Mm -hmm. I think that we need to have a certain amount of strength an ability to focus ourselves in order for us to even have an experience in fourth density and beyond. Mm. And that this is what third density gives us. It gives us the ability to have that transition between material animal experience and uh, in a metaphysical experience, right? We're practicing mm. a kind of metaphysical articulation of will in this meat space. <laughs> That's a great it's a great reiteration that whatever is required in the next level, you know, like the difference between us and animals, there's a special difference between what's next for us and where mm-hmm. we're at right now. And Absolutely. we are practicing, you know, we are practicing. We're all making the choice, but we can't collectively get to that next level uh, until we've made that choice or until we've exercised all of the skills that are, you know, that we need to master so that we are able to handle those challenges and handle those, uh, whatever it is we're meant to be handling at that next level. But, Oh yeah. If you, and you don't have to necessarily use your imagination that much. If you think about the kinds of challenges that we as a planet are facing, mm-hmm. these are things that go way beyond what we've experienced to date, at least in our, <laughs> at least in our known history. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get into Sure. <laughs> any any Atlantis stuff or anything like that. But um <laughs> but we the, the challenges that exist right now transcend individual rights and interests. They transcend national rights and interests. Mm-hmm. They transcend any of the kinds of divisions that we are normally used to dealing with. And I think that's very much a uh, harbinger of fourth density that there's a there's a there's a point at which we need to be able to open up and coordinate on a much more deep level that requires us to go beyond what we've known ourselves as mm-hmm. to date and that that is just the barest taste of what's possible in greater densities when we can let let the uh the 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 limited construct of the ego personality uh, be less and less of the, of the, of the main character. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. 
And and so I I think this all leads us to the to the next paragraph, which is another one I would want to uh, uh, get into. Therefore, seat yourselves and your knowledge of yourselves, firstly, as one who respects the incarnation, one who values the illusion. For this illusion is a tremendous opportunity for you to know more and more clearly the nature of yourself. Yet this can never be a measurable or quantitative knowledge for you as what you would call a soul are incalculable, inevitable, inestimable, inestimable, and eternal. Yet what should, yet should we speak to you as an imperishable beings of light? We think not. What good would that do you? You could not hear the words of light. You could not value the concepts that have no words. We would become those who spoke in tongues, not your own, perhaps an exquisite experience, but not an information filled one. Love this. And so that's just a good uh, reminder that um, what we're trying to do is appreciate what it is that's actually happening spiritually in our lives and to have it. And, 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 and it doesn't have to only be that, but it does have to have that dimension of mystery in our lives so that we can see everything that's fresh in every present moment and open up to spirit and the, and the, um, you know, the, the nuances of of the undifferentiated creator that are available to available to us to manifest at any given moment. Yeah. 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 So so they say then they they take a break a little break to drink water and then they say now that we have thoroughly rattled your cages and made you see the quiddity of yourselves and your incarnation. Quiddity just means like mystery, indeterminacy. And underscored this illusion's value to you, we may be free to speak upon your question, for we feel that we have de-emphasized it appropriately. Uh, And they go on to say, as we said, you begin and end in mystery. However, within the illusion, we may say some things about the relations between the mind, the body, and the spirit. In terms of learning within the illusion, the primary or first learner of which most entities are aware is the mind complex. This is a portion of the self within the illusion. It is a type of of computer which functions quite simply by answering yes or no to each stimulus which is received. Each entity answers no to the reception of perhaps 99% of all that is offered. The self chooses endlessly what it will perceive, and from those choices follow all the conscious choices. Thusly, it is firstly up to the mind to determine what it wishes to perceive. For the instrument known as the mind is programmed only for survival. And just as the small animal, which is one of your pets, moves in relation to our energy and fear, so do each of you instinctually move either in fear or in the active fear called aggression against those things which are deemed a threat. Fear moves all entities until they are delivered by that leap of blind faith into an awareness of love. This, all, this is always the basic choice to fear or to love. Choices made in fear separate. Choices made in love unite. Can I, I got to share the story. Uh, a couple of weekends ago, we went to go visit my family over in the, the Spokane area. And um, we were watching TV, which is something we rarely do. And Undercover Boss was on. And if you're unfamiliar with that <laughs> show, bosses of companies, CEOs basically pretend to be normal workers or whatever. And they'll co-infiltrate their companies at the uh, at the base entry level and get a sense of what's going on in their company. This particular episode, the CEO of uh, Rita's, 
I don't know what it is. Rita's shaved ice or something like that. Some franchise. Oh yeah. She, oh, okay. You know, okay. Rita's Italian ice. Rita's yeah. Italian ice. Okay. The CEO was going in and she was pretending to be a, a woman who wanted to start a franchise. And she was just getting a sense of these franchisees uh, or what these various franchises were doing. Well, she ran into one where this woman had her kids she, first. She didn't have the normal operating hours that were essentially required. Um, she had her kids, um, she was using her sh- sh- her store, her shop as a daycare. Her kids were there playing in the in the front. It was a complete mess. She had like tried to open this drive through without signs of telling which way to go through the drive through, so you didn't really know which way was which. And um, the CEO, I think her name was Linda. She broke cover in the middle of that experience and basically told this woman she had to shut down her her uh, her drive through. They had strong words. Now, at the end of the episode is this great recap where the CEO reveals themselves to all of the people they contacted and, you know, they talk about the experience. Well, this one woman who had kind of the, the mess of a, of a shop thought she was going to get railed, just, you know, berated and it, it kind of starts that way. The CEO starts calling out this woman's uh, lacking. And then instead of saying you're in trouble, she says, I want to give you $25,000 to correctly open your drive-through. And instead of saying you can never bring your kids to work, she says, I understand being a single parent is hard. And, you know, being a business owner is hard. I did it myself. I want to personally mentor you about how to navigate. Instead of going left and saying, you're in trouble, here's what you did wrong, this CEO went right. And I would say she chose, she made the choice of love. She made the choice of helping. Instead of, you know, instead of saying, you're a bad person, it was, here's what I want to do to help you if you will accept. And it was a wonderful episode. They had wonderful music on top of it that made that really pulled the heartstrings. But <laughs> it was just a great. It was a great little segment because this this gal just was not doing things correctly, you know. And it was just a wonderful moment where, you know, the uh, the CEO just made a choice to help rather than demean or punish. It was wonderful. Yeah, we can look at that uh, choice that that CEO made, but it's kind of um, it's kind of besides the point in a way because what's really from a spiritual point of view, what's what's interesting is that choice that that CEO made on how she perceived things that drove her whole way of thinking about what the opportunities were there. Well, I think my point is: do do we not all have the same types of choices to make? In, Absolutely. In the people, the people that we feel have wronged us. You know, this this yeah. CEO thought this woman had done brand damage. You know, yeah. and quite often we have family members that we feel like they encroach on our space or they encroach on our decision making, or we have coworkers that they just they're not doing their work and they're unloading on us things that they should be doing, and we always have these opportunities to choose to shame, guilt, whatever it is, or do we try to find that other path that can be super challenging, but that path of how do I help this person? 
you know, it's each of us has that choice every day, you know, all the time. And, and I appreciate what you're saying. Uh, you're putting a uh, fine point on the the way that the choices give us opportunities or the, these 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 issues that come up give us uh, a choice on to go one way mm. or the other. Mm. But I'm thinking more in terms of how a person brings their biases to a situation and that is in, in, in their choice of what to perceive and what not to, what to filter out and what not to filter okay. out. Oh, um, okay. So it, that okay. creates the whole, if you, cause you have to see that there's a choice available in order to make it. And oh, so often, good. according to this passage, we don't even see that's it. really we don't good. Even, Jeremy. We, we filter it out. And I think that goes back to what I was saying earlier about, what separation actually is separation, uh, a creator fracture, uh, uh, fracturing itself into an infinite number of pieces. And that is in a way of fracturing into all sorts of different filters of itself of not seeing the full picture mm-hmm. and therefore having to make a choice about what it is that they are seeing, mm-hmm. how it, how that limited experience of the creator is going to be handled, how it's going to be regarded. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a reflection of your own principles, your own learning, your own biases and your own desire at the end of the day. Um, and so like that's, and that that's, I'm not trying to uh, needlessly be con- contrary. I'm just saying that um, we can look at the choice mm-hmm. as a, uh, as a thing that happens in our, in, in somebody's life. But we also have to remember the totality that brings somebody to that choice. And that the way that they choose is a reflection of the person. Mm-hmm. It's not some like, it's not simply a discrete thing that happens. Um, it's also part of the totality of that person. Sure. And, 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 and when we make choices, the reason why we always get more opportunities to reaffirm or to contradict that choice is because in each present moment, we bring a, a different self to bear, a self that has a, new experiences, that has uh, uh, evolved in some different way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, That's a great uh, point. It's important. You know, that the, there was a, uh, I think when we were talking about the present moment, um, in one of the past episodes, it, it was talking about how um, the choice of polarity is something that you make in the present moment. And so it's something that you're always continually making. You never have made it and then it's made. Mm-hmm. It's something that you have to continue to reaffirm and that the illusion is going to continue to, we see it as testing. But what it really is doing is it's uh, it's 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 giving us the opportunity to, to uh intensify it and to polarize Mm -hmm. and not just simply be on the right side. Of course, all we have to do is get to 51% in order to uh, be service to others for graduation. But graduation is not something that happens. Harvest is not something that happens on our schedule. Mm. Sure. And so it would be better for us to just simply think in each opportunity, how am I going to understand myself and the other self Mm -hmm. as a reflection of that self? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and if you understand that choice as a reflection of yourself, 
uh, then it becomes instead of like, oh, I did it right or I did it wrong. It becomes this ongoing study. And I think that gives a person the ability to be a little bit more um, nice to themselves, to be uh, more patient with themselves, understanding that any choice that is made that you regret, you'll get an opportunity to make it again. Yeah. And so the important point is to understand the self and then see these choices as a reflection of that process of understanding the self as creator, as other self, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I love your point. I love your point that the point is not to make the right choice. The point is to polarize or that is the, that is the journey, you know, is the polarization, not the continual making the right choices. Uh, that's just, I feel like that's a subtle point, but, uh, of an important one. Yeah, it's, 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 it's important because, um, like they said, just, um, in, in a paragraph or two before we tend to think of our experience as one that is mentally inflected more than anything else. Right. Mm -hmm. Choice seems to be an intellectual process. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yet, um, you know, as they continue, uh, Quo says, the mind in and of itself instinctually cannot move into the area of choice with any realization. It will left to itself continue any patterns that have been begun in the early days of the incarnation of that entity. Thusly, the unawakened life path is one of distraction, avoidance, and aggression. By these means, the mind controls the environment and considers itself safe. Fears and lack of fear move into the body complex if there is no intervention either by dealing mentally with outside catalysts or invoking faith. Thusly, the body slowly sickens and dies because the nature of the illusion is that of steady loss. Mm. I think this puts um, uh, this reemphasizes the fact that to the extent that we focus solely on the choice making aspects of our experience, we're focusing on the mind part of it. And if it, it, it to me, it's, it's like, that's, that's great. Um, but it also has this other aspect of reflecting our totality back to ourselves so that we can participate more in our evolution and less in like test taking. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Yeah, we're going to we're going to our minds are going to also select for comfort, safety, control, distraction for things that it can wrap itself around. And a lot of what uh, the spiritual path is, is trying to go beyond that in some way that is going to feel necessarily unsafe. It's going to feel necessarily inarticulable. It's not going to be something that we can just uh, put a notch in our belt and consider it accomplished. Yeah, the line that pops out to me is fear moves all entities until they are delivered by that leap of blind faith into an awareness of love. And that it speaks to me of, say you get fired and you just bought a new house and you could, one would naturally be scared or if you feel very fearful in that type of situation. But some may be reaching a tipping point in their lives and maybe like, you know what? They just throw their hands up. You're like, I'm going to leave this one to God or I'm just going to trust that this will work out, that I will find a way to move forward. Or, you know, there's, there 
can come a time where you can choose to leave fear on the side um, and to trust that things will be okay. You know, uh, that's yeah. what comes, that's what comes to mind is that, uh, that tipping point that some people reach when it's like, sometimes life is just too much. And at some point, maybe it's because you, you make the conscious choice or sometimes you feel like you don't have any other choice to make because you cannot handle one more ounce of stress. <laughs> so you just go, you throw your hands up and you're like, yep, yeah, I'm just going to let this one play out, you know? And you can see how they would, they would, uh, identify that experience as one of loss and one of appreciation of loss because you're losing that control and that certainty. And the Buddhists would describe it as the ground under your feet, right? Mm -hmm. You're, you're, you're losing the illusion (laughs) that there is any ground under your feet at all at any moment. Mm. You were always um, completely unmoored and free. And we make these attachments in our reality, in our lives, uh, in order to give ourselves a feeling that things are a little bit more stable than they actually are. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is uh, in these experiences of a loss and of uh, things seeming to slip away and break down um, out from under us that we learn um, slowly over time, over many incarnations, probably. Uh, to carry on anyway. Mm-hmm. And from what point would one carry on? From what basis of self would one persist into the abyss? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think this is a great place where for Kuo to bring in the function of the spirit, which they do yeah. in the next paragraph. Kuo says, however, into this closed and incomplete consciousness moves the voice of that, which may be called the spirit complex. Although indeed the spirit complex complex itself is a gateway or opening or channel, which is able to transmit into the deep mind through itself, higher principles and ideals that do not have to do with the illusion, but are in fact fixed like yourselves. Certain principles are imperishable. Thusly, the simplest way perhaps to express the nature of the spirit complex is that used by the one known as Ra, the spirit complex as a shuttle a means of taking the thread through the woof and warp to create the tapestry of solidified beingness as experienced subjectively by each entity, each weaver of the tapestry of an incarnation. Hmm. Hmm. So key points to take away one, one of the reasons why working with the deep mind, the archetypal mind, the roots of mind is such an important discipline for the seeker, or dare I say, for the adept, is because this is at the this is the level at which spirit is coming into play. This is where spirit is being received, mm-hmm. and is often um, the level at which our experience is most deeply colored, and those biases are most um, poignantly pointed out. Hmm. There's a lot to chew on there. <laughs> There's a lot. Yeah, I can only pull out little nuggets. <laughs> well, I but I like the. Uh, it, it, there's there's levels of the mind, and we talk about the roots of the tree of mind. And I know we talked about we talked with uh, uh, with Joseph about this about the arch the archetypes, and I I remember him hammering hard the tree of mind, 
and the visualization of the tree, you know, from the, the top of the tree to the trunk and to the roots, just still love that visualization. But, um, but that there are levels to the mind and that, that connection to the spirit, perhaps, it, would you say it's at the roots of mind that it, that it branches out like that's, you have to go deep within the mind to start connecting with the spirit? That's a, that's a difficult uh, thing to articulate. I think we know that. So I believe that there's at some point in some confederation material where they talk about, you know, I know Ra says that the body is the creature of the mind, mm-hmm. but I think there's also a point where they say that the mind is a creature of the spirit. Mm. In other words, what you have is the undifferentiated creator through mind articulating itself in more limited but concrete ways. And then in body, a further articulation and concreteness Mm -hmm. of of experience. So you have these three levels, one of which is everything's game, right? Mm -hmm. It's all one. The next, the mind, which is uh, starting with the archetypal and the roots of mind, coming into uh, an increasing uh, level of like uh, uh, articulation and consciousness, right? Mm-hmm. Um, awareness um, to the point where you get to the body and now you are in the fully aware nature of, of, of experience, but also the most limited. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the only, the, the real thing that I would take away is simply that there is this connection between spirit and mind. And where does that connection actually Where's that collection, uh, a connection most uh, fruitfully observed? Okay. And I think it's most fruitfully observed in the deep mind uh, because we don't have access to the way that spirit through deep mind creates those lightning struck tower moments where we suddenly have a realization of the infinity of everything. Yeah. Well, I suppose that the possibility of life opens most, most poignantly to us. And I suppose if, if you want to continue reading the next paragraph, the first line is, and how, how can one access the spirit? <laughs> so maybe we're getting going to get a little insight into uh, uh, connecting. Yeah, we're going to connect desire, free will, choice, all of these things, and faith. All of these things are coming into play. Mm. Here's what Kuo says. How can one access the spirit? One desires. All entities desire. This is the process of choosing. But what an entity desires is as various as the four winds until faith is invoked by will. We do not speak of beliefs for beliefs limit, define and solidify into illusory distortions, the imperishable truths of which they are the sons and daughters. There are many, many entities among those of your people making this choice at this time who are comfortable in not thinking in unthinkingness. They wish the structure told to them that they may learn it by rote and spend their time in devotion. Mistakenly, however, because of the nature of the mind complex, it is felt that one particular story about the creator is the story about the creator and all others are not acceptable stories about the creator. This is incorrect. However, each story appeals to those of a certain temperament. This entity has a temperament which finds the story of Jesus Christ the most helpful. Thus, it, is, it has become this entity's way to objectify 
the shuttle of spirit, and to open within the heart and within the consciousness the gateway to, te- to intelligent infinity. There are other stories, many and various. We ask not that the spiritual seeker choose any particular one. We do ask that the seeker choose, and having chosen, never look back. Let me stop there, because I'm getting into mm-hmm. the next paragraph, mm-hmm. but I think this is very interesting. They're talking about desire and the invocation of will to uh, evoke faith. Mm-hmm. And then they start to get into what I would say as dogma and religion. Uh, what is the connection between these two things? Right. Mm-hmm. And I think the connection is to understand that belief that uh, constructs that, that help us un- have a better appreciation of the spiritual need to be understood as constructs and not the thing itself. Ah. Our beliefs are ways that we can with our mind work with the influx of spirit, but they aren't the spirit itself. They aren't the actual undifferentiated creator. They are simply these tools. And I think what they're trying to do is say, Hey, look, spiritual principles that you are enacting in your life are different than your beliefs. Your beliefs are just one means, your actions being another means Mm -hmm. of understanding these things and coming into an appreciation of them. But what you're after is that faith. What you're after is that orientation of the entity to the fixed nature of the spirit's principles. You have no ground under your feet. But the reason is, is because spirit is going to give you on a moment by moment basis, your orientation. Spirit once you're open to its influxes and you're open to its mystery and can trust it, uh, you won't need everything to come through some sort of consistent belief system that then you use to decide what you will and won't pay attention to. The idea in my view, and this is maybe a little bit of my personal belief, <laughs> mm-hmm. so take it with a grain of salt, right? Okay. Uh, is that we are growing in our uh, acceptance of spirit to the point where we can be channels of spirit into manifestation with our mind being a, a complete open book to to spirit. Hmm. Hmm. We can sort of uh, massage and, and, and condition this influx of pure potential and pure infinity into whatever this present moment in incarnation and manifestation requires of us. And that a lot of what our evolution is, is coming into this relationship where the mind, body, spirit functions as a, all functions in, in, in complete harmony. Mm-hmm. We are just at the beginning in third density of an appreciation of this other thing called spirit, this other thing that transcends life and death, Mm -hmm. eating or going hungry, uh, all of these things that an animal deals with. And, and, And I think that's why our lives on planet Earth are very strange, because we're in this in between mode between the the concerns of the spirit and the concerns of the animal. That's a good point and a good way to put it. Yeah, maybe that and, that that contributes to the complexity and the challenge is the fact that we are animals, yet we're dipping our toes into the higher <laughs> to the higher realms, so to speak. You know, we're starting to make that transition, and it's it's almost a uh, a 
I, I wanted to call it a conflict, but I really want to call it a com. It's like a combat between that uh, innate instinct, that drive versus, well, the unity and love that, you know, that uh, we're trying to exemplify or trying to learn uh, and bring into existence. So that's, there's, you know, you're giving me a lot to chew on today, Jeremy. <laughs> I think I, I feel like I'm all over the place and not very focused, but um, I'm, I'm hoping that I am at least opening a little bit to the influx of that, of that spirit. Mm. Cause it's sending me all over the place. If I am. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I, I think it's important to also understand that uh, we can hold beliefs such as beliefs in, in the Confederation philosophy, uh, but, but, but we need to understand that there are also these ways of like limiting uh, how we think about spirit and how we think about spiritual principles. And that as long as we understand that we are using the tool and that it's just a tool, that these things can become ways that we conceptualize spirit fruitfully. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that we need to be, we need to understand that the nature of our experience, as they said earlier, is one of steady loss. So we need to be able to let go of these tools when they no longer serve us. Yeah. Yeah. That can be tough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that can be tough. So, so that's why they're saying like you choose a particular story that contextualizes things. And once you've chose, you don't look back, you don't keep revising your story, but you do recognize more and more that it is a story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that what's important is the, the kind of it, the kind of reflection you're getting of yourself from what acting upon the concepts in the story show you. Hmm. It, I'll, I'll continue with Kuo. It may take as long as you wish in the incarnation to make that choice, but when the choice is clear, it is very well to move upon the path with the greatest intensity and devotion possible. For what you wish to do as a unique consciousness or soul is to become more and more powerful in the metaphysical sense. Once you have done the work of spirit involved in discovering the imperishable part of yourself— Until you have made and dedicated the choice of how to love the infinite creator, the self, and all other entities, polarization cannot begin in any settled form, which may deliver one more reliably into a denser light, and a more skillful use of that light in being and in manifestation, but most importantly in being. Hmm. Hmm. It is, it is, it is that work of spirit in recognizing, uh, the overarching nature of evolution as not about one lifetime and one, uh, gambit of survival, but as a larger thing that you are partaking of. And you start to recognize that you are not something that, that needs defense. You are not something that needs to be preserved at all costs because what you understand is yourself is really just one tiny aspect of your overall true existence. And it's only from there that you can really make spiritual choices and act in a spiritual way where you manifest these principles. If you are focused on, you know, your own survival, your own job, these are the, you know, your, your own family, like these are very like 
normal things to be uh, preoccupied by. There's no there's no shame in being preoccupied by these things. But as you come into a connection with spirit, you recognize that there is more at play and that gives you the ability um, to get out of the rigid modes of living and start to dance. You know, in, in Ra's first communication with uh, Jim or sorry, with Don, because uh, Jim wasn't there at that first mm. session, um, they talk about uh you are dancing, you are dancing thoughts, right? You are dancing through creation. And I think that's what they mean is that when you're open to spirit, you recognize that there is nothing really fixed other than like the unity of everything and that all other things, manifestation and, and, and material reality seem to be the most uh, uh, stable thing. But as you go forward in your evolution, you start to learn how unstable manifestation is, mm-hmm. how contingent it is. And really what is the most stable is that unity that you access most poignantly and most um, viscerally through the spirit complex. Mm-hmm. And you go through this transition where you you go from trying to make yourself comfortable and stable within the illusion to making yourself comfortable and stable with spirit. And then the illusion becomes this dance and what move you do at any given moment, who can say, right? Yeah. Yeah. Again, there's a, there's a lot there, but it makes me think that at, at minimum, when you come into awareness of the spirit, it just, it helps provide perspective on, uh, on the challenges on your day-to-day existence, you know, and the, the challenges that, uh, that inevitably come your way. Yeah. And, th- and this is why I think that, uh, they talk at the end about, um, until you have made, until you've discovered that imperishable part of yourself, which the spirit will, will reflect most, most, uh, coherently. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't really polarize in a way that you're building choice upon choice upon choice and getting out of the randomness that comes from reacting to stimuli. What you, what you're trying to do is come more and more into that relationship with spirit where you recognize that it's about the skillful use of that light coming through. Mm. And they say that uh, it's skillful use of that light in being and in manifestation, but most importantly in being because spirit is, I believe most tied to, that the service of being we think of service as something that is done. This is what I was trying to get at with, with the choice, right? Like we think the choices are about making choices and then having the consequence of those choices play out. Mm -hmm. But what they really, but, but from the point of view of the service of being, it's about learning how to just be that spirit, that creator in every situation. It comes from knowing yourself and accepting yourself. But then the last portion is to become the creator. As mm-hmm. Ross says. Mm-hmm. And so we have to go through these experiences. This is why I think they place so much emphasis on respecting the illusion and what it teaches and how unique this moment is because we're getting, it seems like third density and the veil provides us an experience of our own nature that is as stark 
is as starkly delineated as can be possible. Hmm. If you think about uh, what must obtain in the more metaphysical spiritual realms or the, 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 or the denser realms, um, it seems like things are a little bit more mushy and it's more soupy. Everything kind of blends together and it's hard to have the level of concrete articulation that we enjoy and suffer from in third density. Hmm. Things, things really manifest clearly here uh, from the point of view of giving us something concrete to reflect our own nature back to ourselves. Yeah. Whether we're paying attention to that is a completely it, different thing, exactly. right? We can get caught up in the nature of the mirror instead of looking at what the mirror is actually reflecting back to us. Yeah. <clears throat> do, do we need to, do we need to wrap up? We do. Yeah. We do need to yeah, find an answer. I, I, I think we, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, maybe maybe we can continue some other time. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to? Because there's still there's, a lot there's here. still other stuff to talk about. Yeah. There's a lot here. Yeah. There's a lot here. I th- I think the next point is just that uh, as we're coming into a uh, relationship with this uh, inarticulate, ineffable spirit, they Kuo says. The mind will endlessly inform one, the bodlessly and the body endlessly informs one, and the spirit lies fallow. To request an end to incoming data seems a simple enough thing to do. Mm. This is the nature of meditation, the nature of contemplation, to remove oneself from the stage of manifestation that one may rest and seek its own self within. This is this is a good window into the function of meditation which is to try to listen to spirit by silencing the mind mm. and becoming still so that what this, this is very subtle thing that spirit is can come more and more into focus for us. Yes. That is a, that will be a great thing to dive into. Yeah, certainly. Which we'll have to do next time. Yes. Unfortunately, <laughs> my yeah. three-year-old is already running circles around the house. <laughs> So it's 7 a.m. So he's ready to go. Yep. Yep, We're not the only ones who uh, benefit from waking up early. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. Cool. Well, we'll, uh, we'll finish this up on the next episode. Um, I'm hoping that it will give me an opportunity to reflect on what we've talked about and maybe bring it into a little bit tighter uh, focus. Yeah. But thanks for uh, following me through all of these ramblings. Oh, yeah. I appreciate me, you it. You gave me a few gems and a few uh, a few things to chew on. So this one's pretty, there's a lot to this one. Well, there's a lot there to is. all of these. <laughs> the more you dive in, uh, the deeper you see you can go. Maybe it'll be good for the listener to, to just like us, reflect on what, we, what the subjects were today and then bring uh, some more insights next time. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I think so. Well, well, thanks so much for uh, uh, sticking with me, Ryan. Thanks so much, listener, for sticking with us. And in the meantime, stay in the love and light. <laughs>